that that was a nice way to invite the spirit here with us this morning I'd like to welcome uh, friends family guests all here this morning in this beautiful Sunday morning that has been set aside for us to uh, come before our Lord and and worship him we would ask especially an interest in your prayers this morning for our brother Jeff as uh, he has the burden of sharing the message of the Lord for an opening scripture I've uh, Chosen section 90, one of my favorites. Um, very simple and plain verse, but yet packed with information uh, concerning the gospel. It says, Verily, thus saith the Lord, It shall come to pass that every soul who forsaketh their sins and cometh unto me and calleth on my name and obeyeth my voice and keepeth my commandments, shall see my face, and know that I am. What a wonderful promise. If you take each one of those things that I just read and and examine them, you can see how that would bring you to come before Christ, where you could see him face to face. It's describing the gospel plan as we've been given. And he says, And that I am the light, true light, that lighteth every man, that cometh into the world, the true light, and that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. And so now it speaks of the covenant which we have made, and which he has with his Father. And the Father and I are one, and the Father because he gave of me of his fullness, and the Son because I was with in the world and made flesh my tabernacle, and dwelt among the sons of men. Let us uh, join in the singing of hymn number 320, and uh, our brother um, Darwin will bring the prayer of invocation after that. Hymn number 320.
Our dear Heavenly Father, we come to you at this time asking that you would be with us through this hour. And we do thank you for the the gifts that you have given us this morning. For uh, we know that uh, without you in our hearts, we would not even be able to receive those things. Again, we ask, be with us, watch over us, and we give you all the honor and glory that is thine. In Jesus' name, amen. be reading from section 101 2c for is it expedient that I the Lord should make every man accountable as stewards over earthly blessings which I have made and prepared for my creatures and then 147 5a stewardship is the response of my people to the ministry of my son and is required alike of all those who seek to build the kingdom let us pray Our Father in heaven, come before thee. We ask that uh, you'll bless those who are giving and those who wish to give that are unable. We ask that you be with those who (coughs) would uh, direct the money where it needs to go and that they'll have wisdom and that you guide and direct them and that your spirit be with them. And we ask this in the name of our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen.
From the fourth chapter of Mark, I read these words of our Master to his disciples. And he said unto them, Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel, or under a bed, and not to be set on a candlestick? I say unto you, Nay. But there was nothing hid which shall not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret, but that it should in due time come abroad. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And he said unto them, Take heed what ye hear. For with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you, and unto you that continue to receive shall more be given. For he that receiveth to him shall be given. But he that continueth not to receive from him shall be taken, even that which he hath. And he said, So is the kingdom of God. As if a man should cast seed into the ground, and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, and he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade and then the ear, and after that the full corn in the ear. When the fruit is brought forth, immediately he put it in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Thanks to them abideth. Thus they 
Gosh, that was beautiful. It was just positively beautiful right there. Um, my family uh, wanted to be here this morning, but uh, well, my wife is at home taking care of a very sick little boy uh, this morning. So there, he's got the best doctor in the whole world taking care of her right now. So, seeing as she's not here, I can embarrass her properly. 364 days from our first date, I married the woman of my dreams. 24 days ago, September the 1st of this year, we celebrated staying married for 10 years. And I think that is terrific right there. You know, I don't think my own parents were married for as long, so, you know, I mean, this is really something you know, spectacular to me. And I really think that that's, you know, 10 years of marriage, that's a really good start right there. I love that. It's my, the best news I've had all year. I get to be married to that woman for 10 years. That's fantastic. And I couldn't wait to come here this morning to share this great news with, with all of you. I'll tell you what, all my brothers and sisters, I get to give you the best news that I've got right there. That's, that's great. You know, and you reach the, you know, the 10-year mark and you begin to look back and, you know, I was, I was thinking to myself, you know, how much I've grown over the last 10 years, how much we have grown over the last 10 years. Did you know, before we were married, my wife had never seen a Christmas story. Little Ralphie with his Red Ryder BB gun, she had never seen it. I couldn't believe that first time I heard that. I had never seen White Christmas. Never came up. It was never on in our house. Never watched it. It's a great movie. Uh, you know, uh, since we've been married, you know, I've learned so much from the scriptures. You know, I've, I've, uh, let's see, we've, gosh, I had to figure out a, uh, the details of a car loan, uh, a home loan. You know, when we were first married, I moved into her apartment, you know, because her apartment was a little better than my apartment. So when we first got married, I moved in with her. And, uh, you know, since then, we've, you know, bought some cars and we've, you know, bought a home. And, uh, you know, when I, when I met my wife, I was an ironic priest. And uh, since then, you know, a few years thereafter, I was ordained as a Melchizedek elder. It was after marrying my wife that... Uh, I started going to priesthood retreats. I spent a long time at uh, Kirtland. I tell you what, my, uh, you know, my patriarchal blessing mentions climbing a spiritual mountain. You know, he says that uh, I'll be climbing the spiritual mountain, and you know, sometimes the way, you know, seems a little difficult, but nevertheless to, to pursue on. I think that's true for all of us, whether you're just at the foothills or if you've reached a particular peak and you begin to look around and you're asking yourself, so where else can I go from here? I mean, that's, that's true from all of us. 
I'd like to read to you from the Book of Mormon, the first chapter here, just a few verses. Now, in the Book of Mormon, it was written by a man named Mormon, and he was born roughly 310 years since the coming of our Lord. I think that's interesting how the Nephites mark time. They they say that you know the, the first year was the the year that Christ came to the earth, not the year that Christ came to them or ministered to them. It was the year that Christ came to the earth, and so it was 310 years since uh, Christ came to the earth. And, you know, for the first couple of years, you know, first 200 years or so, that the Nephites, you know, they had, you know, quite a, uh, you know, fantastic situation there. Now, the first 200 years, you know, they got along, and, and it was, uh, you know, really an idealistic, it was, it was heaven on earth, really. And, you know, shortly thereafter, Satan was able to sow division among them. The Lamanites were newly reformed, and the Nephites uh, were reformed, and uh, Satan was able to sow division and drive in wedges, you know, and really tear the people apart and through contentions and dissensions, and uh, there's persecutions. And it was, it was right about the time that Mormon came along that these contentions actually became uh, warfare, there was battles and bloodshed, and there were soldiers and armor, and there was uh, there was real you know murder and and you know mayhem there. And Mormon says that even you know as a young child, uh, even he says at 11 years old, his father moved his family into the city there, and he says even as a young child, I was able to just look around and I was able to see, you know, how mankind treats each other. So Mormon was a very religious fellow. He was righteous. He believed in God and. Uh, Jesus Christ, and uh, he believed in the prophecies of Samuel the Lamanite that said that um, the Nephites wouldn't last even 400 years after the coming of their Lord. And so Mormon, a righteous man, he says he calls himself large in stature. And so the, the Nephites, they like to put religious fellows, they like to put men of large in stature in command of their armies. And so Mormon was made as a commander of their armies, even at the tender young age of 16. I think that's a lot to ask from any 16-year-old. 16 years old, he's already in command of an army, and he has the first few battles, a couple of setbacks, but then he sort of hits his stride here. And I want to read to you a few verses from the Book of Mormon. I talk about a few of his battles here. I'm going to skip around a little bit. And it came to pass in the 346th year, they began to come upon us again. And it came to pass that I did speak unto my people and did urge them with great energy that they would stand boldly before the Lamanites and fight for their wives and for their children and for their houses and their homes. And my words did arouse them somewhat to vigor in so much that they did not flee from before the Lamanites but did stand with boldness against them. And it came to pass that we did contend with an army of 30,000 against an army of 50,000. And it came to pass that we did stand before them with such firmness that they did flee from before us. And it came to pass that when they had fled, we did pursue them with our armies and did meet them again and did beat them. And in the 350th year, we made a treaty with the Lamanites and the robbers of Gadianton in which we did get the lands of our inheritance divided. And the Lamanites did give us into the land northward, yea, even to a narrow passage, which led into the land southward. And we did give unto the Lamanites all the land southward. And it came to pass that Lamanites did not come to battle again until ten more years had passed away. 
And it came to pass that in this tenth year had passed away, making in whole 360 years from the coming of Christ, the king of the Lamanites sent an epistle unto me, which gave unto me to know that they were preparing to come again to battle against us. And it came to pass that I did cause that my people that they should gather themselves together at the land desolation to a city which was in the borders by the narrow pass which led into the land southward. And there we did place our armies that we might stop the armies of the Lamanites, that they might not get possession of any of our lands. Therefore we did fortify against them with all of our force. And it came to pass that in the 361st year, the Lamanites did come down to the city of desolation to battle against us. And it came to pass that in that year we did beat them insomuch that they did return to their own lands again. And in the 360 and second year, they did come down again to battle, and we did beat them again. We did slay a great number of them, and their dead were cast into the sea. So here we have a situation where the, the, the Nephites have gathered into this land northward, and there's this narrow neck of land, and... Uh, they send all of their defensive armies to that narrow neck, a bottleneck, to try to keep the Lamanites from rushing northward. And the Lamanites, and they come, and they, they come to attack. And they come, I think, to ask a question. And the question is this, as recorded in the uh, second book of Nephi, in chapter 4. This is here in the second book of Nephi in chapter 4 and verse 40. It says, And the Lord God said unto me that they shall be a scourge unto thy seed to stir them up in remembrance of me. And inasmuch as they will not remember me and hearken unto my words, they shall scourge them even unto destruction. But God had allowed these Lamanites to exist. He allowed them to flourish, that they could scourge the Nephites. And scourge the Nephites into, into remembering me. And so that is the question. When the Lamanites come, they come and they ask a question. The Nephites, do you remember the Lord your God? Because if you don't remember the Lord your God, this isn't going to work out too well for you. And that's the question. Do you remember the Lord your God? I can promise you, saints, that as long as you are here on this earth, that Satan will stir up the hearts of mankind into division and into strife. And he will plague your life and doggedly attack you at every chance that he gets. It will cause situations uh, to, to arise in your life that will slow down and otherwise retard your spiritual progress. Will you remember your God? And my mother, my mother, She had a spiritual gift, my mother. She had the gift of dreams. Uh, it's an uncommon gift, from what I understand. She would have dreams. And these, uh, like not every dream, of course, but there were some dreams, and these dreams, I think, were given to her by God. And she believed that, too, that these dreams, they came from God, and they helped to explain the scriptures. They helped to explain uh, the will of God as situations arose. We had uh, one of my uncles died much too young and she had a dream that, that helped explain uh, that situation. And what a, what a gift, what a blessing these dreams were. She would share them with the entire family and it would help to increase our faith and 
and our understandings there. And she would describe these dreams. They were so vivid and detailed and so realistic. And she would say that they were so powerful. They were terrible dreams. You know, I didn't really believe in dreams when I was a child. I didn't really believe. I thought it was all hogwash and, you know, some sort of you know, Freudian nonsense. I, I didn't really believe in dream interpretation. But the more that I read through the scriptures, you know, Joseph, and he, he interpreted the dreams of the, the butler and the baker and uh, the king Pharaoh. When Daniel stood before King Nebuchadnezzar and he said, O king, live forever. The visions you have had on your pillow were a great and terrible image. These dreams, they came to her by God, and she said that they were so great and so powerful and so terrible that they were too much. She asked God to take them away, and he kindly obliged. How much more did God have to tell her? How much more did God have to tell the rest of our family? How much more does the Lord have to say to you? This repetitious assault, the Lamanites, they come three times. I read to you three times in a period of 16 years. They come three times to attack these Nephites. Again and again, and they come up and they, they make battle and they lose, and then they return again and then they lose, and then a third time they come to a, they attack these Nephites again, and again they're defeated. Is this not an example of the cunning of the devil? Is this not typical of the craftiness of our adversary uh, to come at us again and again? Why does he come to us? so many times and over and over again when he knows he's going to lose? And the answer is because he knows he's going to lose. The first time. And the second time. How many times does Satan come to tempt you? How many times do you say no to that particular temptation? What, ten times? A hundred times? He comes at you again and again and again he comes for you. You know, there's, there's a quote. Um, I'm going to do something that I don't normally do here. Uh, there's, there's a quote uh, from somebody who's not in the scriptures. There's a quote from a, a lady named um, uh, Margaret Thatcher. She was the, you know, the former prime minister of the United Kingdom. And uh, they called her the Iron Lady for some of her policies there. You may have heard of her. And she, uh, she said, though I was unable to find the particular speech in which she uh, said this thing, she said that you may have to fight a battle more than once to win it. And so this is a philosophy which is born from this, this hard-nosed grit, this tenacity, this, this never-say-die, this, this pugilistic sort of attitude to, to fight for every inch of every battle. But this is not, this, this is a worldly wisdom, but this is not a spiritual wisdom. The fight over and over again to be caught on the same questions in your life. I've been to a number of different congregations and I've heard this say over and over again. I struggle with my faith. I've heard it said many times. I struggle with my faith. 
There's a daily struggle. They've been struggling for years, over and over again, in this constant loop. And when you get stuck on the same question, Satan laughs. Are you progressing up your spiritual mountain? Are you improving your time here on this earth? What is our point and purpose here on this earth? I don't know why people have such a problem trying to figure this out. Theologians, philosophers, for a very long time have been trying to figure this out. What is the point and meaning of life? We have it right here in our scriptures. Amulek delivered it to the Zoramites in the 16th chapter of Alma, verse 228. It says, For behold, this time, this life is a time for men to prepare to meet God. Yea, behold, the day of this life is the day for men to perform their labors. To get caught up in the same question over and over again, it frustrates. And there's constant backsliding. You improve the time that you're here, and now if you had and now as I've said unto you before, that you have so many witnesses, therefore I beseech of you that you do not procrastinate the day of your repentance until the end. For after this day of life, which is given unto us to prepare for eternity, behold, if you do not improve our time while in this life, then cometh the night of darkness, wherein there can be no labor performed. Do not become confused, my brothers and sisters. This, the day of this life is not in order to gain riches or luxury or wealth or accolades or trophies. It's not to gain titles unto yourself. It's not for you to... Uh, you know, to create the, the same sins over and over again. It's not for you to become befuddled or confused or frustrated in your spiritual development. It is a time for you to meet God. I can promise you, as you leave this earth, you will have a very personal interview. You will meet your God. The time spent on this earth is not... You're not still on this earth because you have good genes or you you have the right diet and exercise. You're here on this earth to prepare to meet your God. And this day is the life. uh, The life of this day is for men to perform their labors. I told you before that as long as you are here on this earth that Satan isn't through with you yet, but Christ is not through with you yet either. He tells you. He asks you, he begs you, he commands you. He says, ask, shall be given. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. As I read to you in my, my opening scripture there, he says, you know, take heed for what you hear. For those that continue to receive shall more continue to be given. You have questions. I know you do. You have questions about this life, the the division, you have questions about family or life or friends, you have questions about health or the situations of this life. There's, there's a lot of hate in this world. You have questions. The Lord wants to talk to you, has so much more to say to you. In the 22nd uh, section of the Doctrine and Covenants, he says that there is no end to my words or my works. He has so much more that he wants to tell you if you continue to receive. There's a story from the Old Testament. It comes from the book of Numbers. Now, the book of Numbers is a collection of stories as the Israelites left the kingdom of Egypt, left their bondage and slavery there, and 
they approached to the borders of the promised land and then they decided they didn't want to go into the promised land. And so the Lord again kindly obliged, if you don't want the promised land, then you're not going to get the promised land. And in his wrath swore that none of them would enter into the promised land. And so doomed them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years and then until a new generation of Israelites would raise up. And there are times in the book of Numbers where the Israelites are literally in transit from one place to the, to the other. This, this uh, mobile multitude, this nation of nomads, as they, they walk and they take their, their houses and their, their belongings and their families and all of their livestock and everything that they own and they transfer from one place to the next. And then there are times when they are stationary and sometimes that lasts for a good long while. And you have to understand that uh, this was not a uh, this is not a weekend you know getaway. This is not a uh, you know a week of backpacking through the, the Appalachians. This was a, a, a 40 years in the wilderness, and so these these Israelites they were not able to provide for everything that they needed out there in the wilderness, and so it was good that sometimes they should find themselves stationary, that they can trade with the nearby cities and towns and peoples. And the Lord said, that was fine. You can go ahead and trade for goods, but not for ideas. I don't want you picking up the culture of these other peoples. And I want you learning about their religions. And so here we have in the 25th chapter of Numbers, they're doing everything that they're not supposed to be doing. There's three people in this chapter that you need to keep your eye on. Three people. There's a man named Phineas. And Phineas is a priest to the Lord. He's the son of a man named uh, Eleazar, who was also a priest unto the Lord, and he is the son of Aaron, who was the brother of Moses. And so you have the, the grandson of, of Aaron here, and he's a priest, and he's devout. And then there's a man named Zimri. Uh, Zimri is a prince from the tribe of Simeon. When the Israelites were stationary. They would set up their tents and they would set up this tabernacle of testimony, and you would have the, you know, the administrative you know, structure over the whole nation of Israel. And Zimri was one of those princes, and he was in charge of part of the tribe of Simeon. So well-to-do. Um, and then there was a lady named Cosby, or Cosby. I'm not sure how to pronounce it there. And she is described as a Midianitish woman. And so you have here in the 25th chapter of Numbers that these uh, Israelites, they have camped near a city of Moab. And some of the daughters of Moab have come out to entice the sons of Israel. And they're doing quite an effective job. They've entasked them so far as to begin to bow down unto their gods, a god they call Baal Peor. And our Lord is upset, as you can imagine, at this situation. There, here he has his whole nation of Israel, his angels are walking before and after them, the tabernacle of testimony, and they're, the nation, and they're doing exactly what I told them not to do. They're going out and they're bowing down to these idols, bringing idols into their lives. And the Lord is upset at his, 
his nation. And so you can read here in verse 4, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. The Lord said unto Israel, You find all those sons that bow down unto this Baal Peor and you hang them up. You put it in the sunshine because I want to see it. I want all Israel to see it. That is the God that you serve. The kind of God that loves you with a jealous love. You know what a jealous love is? Jealous love is when you love someone and you don't allow them to love anyone else. A jealous love. I love you and you're going to love me and me only. There's there's no idols unto the Lord. It says, The Lord thy God is a jealous God, visiting visiting the iniquities of the fathers and to the heads of the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me. It's a jealous love. And he's upset when they let other things enter into their heart. So the Lord commands Moses. And the Lord sends a plague out to the nation of Israel. It's not specific about what kind of plague this is, but only that it is a deadly plague. And before it's all said and done, some 24,000 Israelites will perish. And so... You have this classic scene right there in front of the, the tabernacle of testimony. The tabernacle where the altar was, where they made all of their sacrifices to God, where the, the mercy seat was, where God himself came down and lived among the Israelites. Right there, the Holy of Holies, he talked to, to Moses face to face. Right there in front of the tabernacle of testimony, Moses and Aaron are pleading to their God. All the priests are there in front of this this tabernacle, and they're, they're begging God, please have mercy on us. Please say your wrath and your anger. Please have patience with us. We know that we've done wrong. Please, Lord. So you have this, this, this scene where the nation of Israel, the people there are gathered also in front of this, this tabernacle, and they're pleading to their Lord, please, Father, we've messed up. Forgive us. One more time. Forgive us. And in the midst of all of this, in the midst of the plague and the wrath of God, Zimri shows up, and he's got a girl in his hand. And they go straight to his tent. Saints, <laughs> I, I am so, it's just, it's overwhelming. I can't believe it's outrageous. I am so shocked. I am beyond, like in, in, the, in the midst of all of this, in the midst of the Lord's wrath, while they're standing before the tabernacle of testimony, he thinks this is the best thing for him to do right now. I was shocked when I read this. Thousands of years later, I read it again in preparation for this week, and I was stunned, just astounded. What outrageous vanity. What surprising conceit. It's unthinkable. I can't imagine. I am just... I am so aghast at all of this. It's just, I, I don't have enough words to describe it. It's so surprising to me. It angers me. I can't believe this. 
But not Phineas. Phineas, the priest of the Lord. You know, in the mind of Phineas, it's actually it's, it's pretty black and white to Phineas. To him, service to my God is pretty black and white. To Phineas, the answer is simple. There is what is and there is what isn't. That's it. You either love your God or you don't. And the answer to him is, is always simple. It's always direct. And for him, it's just, he is just as appalled as you are. He's just as shocked as you are. But he's not quite as stunned as I was when I read this. Zimri grabs a javelin. He goes straight to the tent and he rams them both through. Catches a woman in the belly. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not encouraging anyone to go out and commit murder. Okay? Just so we're clear, please do not go out and commit murder. That's not at all what I'm trying to say. Uh, what I am trying to say only is what Phineas is trying to say, that if we're going to live in the presence of our God, you're going to have to hold yourself to a little higher standard. That's, that's what the tabernacle of testimony was. That's what the mercy seat was, that God himself left uh, the courts of heaven to come and live down among the Israelites right there with them. And if that is your plan, if you plan on living in celestial glory, then you're going to have to hold yourself to a little higher standard. We're going to have to ask a little bit more out of ourselves. In order to live in the presence of our Lord, it requires a strong faith, a complete dedication to our Lord, of our whole selves. We have to hold ourselves to a little higher standard. It must be an unhesitant obedience. To give of our whole selves zealously. And we must love God we must have that perfect mirror image of the love that God has for us, to love God with a jealous love, to love our Lord with a love that says, I'm not going to let anything come between us. I'm not going to let anything come before us. If you want to live in the presence of your Father for all eternity, you're going to have to hold yourself to a little higher standard. I wanted to share a little story with you uh, from my own life, if that's okay. I thought it was appropriate in context of you know, today's sermon here. Um, it was uh, a few years ago, I was uh, working as a nurse. I was working as a nurse in the, uh, as a cardiac cath lab. And um, it's a place where if, uh, you know, you go to your cardiologist and, um, you know, he does a couple of tests and he says, you know, that your, your heart doesn't look good. We need to have a look at your heart. It's in you to the cardiac cath lab. Or God forbid that you should have a heart attack and end up in the ER. And, uh, you know, I was, eventually you needed a, a heart stent. I was part of the team of people that would help make that happen. 
And, um, you know, there was, and while I was there, um, there was an anesthesiologist would come by sometimes. And um, an anesthesiologist is, you know, a regular you know, medical doctor, but their, their particular field of study is anesthesia. And, um, you know, that's a science of, you know, putting you to sleep and keeping you comfortable and pain control and, and that sort of thing. And so she would come by sometimes and, um, you know, I remember her, she had a, uh, she had a southern accent right out of Louisiana, this lady. And uh, nice as could be, very intelligent, very capable. Uh, we got along great. And, um, you know, sometimes in between cases, we'd start to talk. And I have to say, you know, you can't be in conversation with me for very long before the conversation eventually turns towards the scriptures or church. And so she and I got to talking, and she said that she was a Lutheran. I said, excuse me, a Lutheran? And she says, yes, a Lutheran. I'm a Lutheran. I believe in the Lutheran. I'm not a practicing Lutheran. I don't go to church, but I believe in Lutheranism. And she tried to convince me that all that was necessary in order to enter into heaven to, to gain salvation was to have a change of heart and to, to believe. And I said, no, it's not. And, uh, you know, so... I thought about this, you know, for a little while. You know, I went home and I, I thought about this, and you know, I, I looked through the scriptures and I prayed. And I have to admit, I cheated a little bit because a couple of summers ago I read a biography on Martin Luther, and so you know, I felt like you know I knew a little something about Lutheranism. I'm, I'm no expert, mind you. Uh, you know, I don't claim to be any sort of expert, but you know, I felt like you know this is somebody that I could talk to. I could speak their language, and so. You know, I, I made this plan. You know, I got out this little note card, and I looked it up in the scriptures, and I found, you know, 10, 12 verses from the scriptures that had all these commandments on them. A lot of them were from, the, uh, from Christ, you know, from the Gospels there. Some of them were from the, you know, the letters there in the New Testament. And I, and I got out my pen, and I, and I wrote all of these uh, different verses down, and, you know, I thought, you know, Martin Luther, he did, he did a lot of good. Uh, in his day, some 500 years ago, he did a lot of good. Um, had to hand it to the guy. He brought the church out of this sort of mysticism of the, the Catholic faith. He brought it out of this, this worship of relics in the Catholic faith. And he, he actually translated the New Testament into German. And that was a big deal because at the time, the, the only version of the scriptures was in what's called Vulgate Latin, which is you know, a thousand-year-old language at the time. And so to translate it into German, to actually put it in the laps of the, the actual uh, saints, I mean, that, that's pretty good work for one man, I would like to say. Uh, that's, that's pretty great. And so, you know, there's a lot of the Martin Luther did right, but there was a lot that he did wrong. And, you know, as I alluded to before, faith is not the end all and be all. Um, there's a lot more in there. And so I made this, this note card and I gave it to her and I said that this is a conversation starter. This is a start of conversation. It's not the end. This is a start of conversation. I want you to look up these scriptures, and even as you feel uh, appropriate, even as you feel like you know, the time is appropriate for you, uh, I want you to you know, mold them over, and then you come back to me, and you translate these scriptures. You tell me what you think they mean. Because all these are commandments. So you look these up. This is a conversation starter. I literally said that to her as I, as I handed her this note card. This is a conversation starter. And, you know, uh, she never talked to me again after that. Uh, I have no idea what happened. She, uh, you know, but yeah, that's not the point. Uh, you know, in 
uh, 1 Corinthians there, I think it's chapter 2, Paul says, you know, I planted the seed. Now, Paulus watered, but it was God who gave the increase. And so he that planteth is nothing, he that watereth is nothing, but God who gave the increase. That is the one we should glorify. And so, you know, I wasn't so keen on, I want to baptize this person. I wanted them to come to a knowledge of the truth. Whether or not I was the one who baptized them, I wanted them to come to a a better understanding of the truth as found in Christ's church. So the second point I want to make here is, um, you know, I'm the kind of person that believes that God will work with anybody. I may be alone in this, but I believe that God is the kind of God that will work with anybody that will work with him. In the second chapter of the, the book of Romans there, Paul laments that he's not having any luck with the Jews. He says, uh, but the Gentiles are. When the Gentiles, those who have not the law, do by nature those things contained in the law, they are law unto themselves. And when those who have not the law, uh, they do by nature those things contained in the law, he says that they they show that they have the law written in their hearts and their consciences also bearing witness. The second chapter of Helaman here in verse 162 I read, And thus we see that the Spirit of the Lord began to withdraw from the Nephites because of the wickedness and hardness of their hearts. And thus we see that the Lord began to pour out his spirit upon the Lamanites because of the easiness and willingness to believe in his word. So even at this time in Helaman, the the Nephites have fallen away from the Lord and the Lamanites are beginning to listen to um, the promptings of the spirit. And the, the Lamanites have actually become more righteous than the Nephites. And so the Lord says, great, I'll work with them. And so in my mind, to my understanding, is that the Lord will work with anybody that will work with him. He will speak to anyone that will listen. I guess the point that I'm eventually trying to make is is that you have the relationship with God that you want to have. You have the relationship with God you want to have. You pray just as often as you want to. You repent just as often as you feel necessary. You study just as many hours as you can stand. You show patience to your fellow man, you show kindness, you have brotherly love, you show charity just as much as is in your heart. You have the relationship with God that you want to have. You know the the difference between accidents and success? It's really quite simple. Accidents have no prior planning. There's no resources there. There's no... uh, There's no... um, there's no teamwork there. There's no, uh, you know, and an accident is just uh, by luck or chance. It happens. It's not planned for. It's not provided for. But success is the exact opposite. You plan for it. You provide for it. You uh, prepare for it. You bring resources or people together. 
As you drive home today, I want you to think about this. Are you happy where you are? My prayer for you, my dear brothers and sisters, is you will remember your God. And you'll know that the Lord, he's not through with you yet, that as long as you will listen, that he'll continue to talk with you. Don't get caught in endless loops. Hold yourself to a little higher standard and plan for your future. For you have only the relationship with God that you wish to have. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we come to Thee with thankful hearts this day for the beauty of Your creation, for the sunshine that warms our heart, for the cooler temperatures, for all Your gifts that sustain us. Father, we're so thankful for and we praise Thy holy name. We are encouraged this day by those words that we've heard, and we trust that we'll take them into our heart and into our caring, that truly we might be thy true disciples, carrying that banner of truth, always remembering you and your gift of your Son, Jesus, our Christ. Bless this congregation, Father. Bless their homes. And encourage them in their discipleship, each one. 
And I pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.